You're totally awesome because you have found your way to the People Make Things podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsuume. The internet knows me a little bit better as Nine Squirrels. All right, we are back with Bomber Roger. I'm not going to say anything about her. I'm not even going to say whether or not I pronounced her last name right. I'm going to let her do that. Hit it, Bama. Hi, I am Bama Roger, and I am in Seattle, Washington. I am a comedian and web content creator, and I also do the actorizing on occasion. The the actorizing. The it, actorizing. I, I just got to put this out there. Uh, there's a fabulous story for, between you and me. Uh, Bama and I actually went to high school together. That's right. How did you manage to stay in theater? How did you power through that and make that a life choice? Because everyone else at some point went like, this is this is not viable and, and walked away from it. How did you not do that? Well, I unconsciously managed to stay in the realm of pursuing theater by not developing any other skills, <laughs> which is really deeply where I am right now. Wow, that's that's um, a that's a that's a that's a strategy I never even considered. You know, I I moved to Seattle in '97, uh, and um, I you know I I feel like for oh maybe four years or so I I had to have another job, but then I started I sort of fell into voiceover, and that sort of started being a regular thing for me which was great because it allowed me to afford to do theater and then just sort of the um the the waves of the Seattle economy have have sort of worked for and against me over that time and uh there was a brief period where i decided um that i had it and i was going to go to LA and be a star oh wait you and- <laughs> actually you did the pilgrimage down to LA yeah, I didn't I was, know that. Oh, you didn't know? I was living in LA when when we first got reconnected. I didn't. I I was. It was all on the internet. I, for some reason, I thought you were in Seattle. I don't. I don't but know I was. Why. I was right. I was right at the end of it, though. Uh, okay. I was so, right so, about so to tell me. Back. I want to hear about this. I want to hear about the big pilgrimage to LA and how that worked out for you. Well, um, if you take the words "worked out" out of that sentence. <laughs> We can go forward with that. Um, so I, I, I did a play at Seattle Rep called Noises Off. Yeah. And yeah, and they, uh, they moved that production to Hermosa Beach. And so, uh, a bunch of us went down there to do that show. And while I was down there, um, I had just, you know, I just sort of had some people advising me like, you know, why, why don't you give it a shot? You should go to LA. LA would love you. And, you know, I I'm just, not sure LA loves anybody actually. Well, I think maybe it's, but it's love hurts is what I, that's what I suspect. Um, so I was down there and I, uh, uh, managed to get an interview with a big voiceover agent who was interested in representing me if I were to move there. And so I just decided to stay. And, um, when I, when I was the first few months I was there, I sort of had some beginner's luck. Like I, um, I did a play and, uh, I, I ended up getting a manager from that who's, who got me an audition for Grey's Anatomy, which I booked. um, I I, rem- I remember that I, I actually remember that episode. You had the little whiskers and stuff on, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I'm and then I'm in a coma for the rest of the episode. But that's still acting. Sort it's of, yeah. yeah. So, sort of, kind of, yeah. Um, you have to not move your eyeballs underneath your eyelids. And that's a talent. That's a skill. It's a talent. Yeah. So, uh, so that happened, and then I, I, I almost got. A, a pilot and an NBC or ABC pilot. Anyway, I almost got this sort of big thing. <clears throat> and then I was, I was, I was going in. And if, if that happens, if you test for a pilot in LA, they'll sort of, 
it sort of gets you in a lot of casting offices. And so I was auditioning a lot for a lot of really cool stuff. And then the writer's strike hit and everything went away. And that lasted for a year and a half or something. Yeah, it was a brutal long time and it, it hurt a lot of people. It, it hit the game industry as well, but not not nearly as hard. Yeah, well, there. I mean, there's a whole trickle down from yeah. anything like that. Um, and then uh, um, about the time they resolved that, I think SAG was threatening to go on strike or something. So a lot of the film production was shut down. So I would, I would go to an audition and there would be like, you know, um, famous people there mm-hmm. auditioning for the same sort of small part and. You know, it just sort of got to where I couldn't, like, I couldn't keep up the rent. I couldn't afford to live there. I had a, a whole ton of credit card debt. Um, and I, I just got really depressed. I was working in a restaurant and I was just like, I can't, I can't, this is not healthy. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go home. So I came back to Seattle and I just sort of rebuilt, um, I just sort of rebuilt kind of my creative life. I started doing theater again and and um, got back into doing voiceover and and reunited with my improv group and started writing stuff. So let me yeah. let me ask about this this exact process a little bit. I think most people okay. when they think of the entertainment industry, they they think of New York, Los Angeles, uh, you know, the, the Yeah. and 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 you're you're building a real career in Seattle, which is honestly just not known for its entertainment industry, right? Um, yeah. How? So um, you, you say you came back and you rebuilt your entertainment life. Can you walk me through some of the? For you know, a lot of people who are listening to this, they're interested in exactly that. What are the nuts and bolts of building a career in entertainment in a city like Seattle that's not Los Angeles or or New York? What does well, that look like? Here's here's I think. The difference is that Seattle is for an actor who uh, who aims to make money as an actor. Seattle is has a pretty thriving theater community, but it's mostly for for paying actors actor for paying actor jobs. Um, it's a corporate market, so you're doing. Uh, some commercials, some commercial voiceover. There's some film production here. Um, uh, but it's a lot of it is corporate video, um, corporate voiceover, instructional stuff. Uh, so a lot of that work is, um, is something that allows, uh, an artist to be able to do so you have, so you sort of have that life. For me, I sort of have that life, uh, you know, where I do that work. And then for a long time, that allowed me to be able to afford to do stuff that maybe, you know, isn't as monetarily, um, you know, isn't as lucrative like doing, to, to do theater, to do improv, so I to don't- do comedy. <clears throat> I know for you, part of that, and I think some people who are who are listening to this who are from Seattle, they may actually have seen you and not know that they've seen you already, because possibly you, uh, because of the the Bartel thing. So tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah. People people want to know about that. Tell me a bit about that. <laughs> well, the Bartel thing was funny um, because it started out as radio commercials mm-hmm. and. Um, the woman uh, that wrote them, whose name is Jenny Moore, um, was so – she and I just sort of had – we were so simpatico, and she was writing this character. She just sort of came up with this nutty shopper character that was so funny, and we we were we had so much fun recording the radio spots that we would – we just kept saying, we need to do – we need to do the video version of this woman. Because they were always so funny. And then she, she started telling me, you know, I kind of hear your voice when I'm writing these. And I was like, I get it. I feel you. And, and so they, um, she and the producer, David Leonard, were able to talk Bartels into doing a series of television spots, uh, based on that same character. So we did that for about, 
I don't know, four or five years, I guess. Um, it's, and... it's funny because those those spots, they're they're funny. I, if you if you go look on YouTube, you guys put a bunch of the the, the Bartels outtakes up on YouTube. Yes, they, they were fucking hilarious, and, and well, you what? don't. You don't think about a drug commercial, like a drugstore commercial being funny, but they were actually genuinely funny commercials. Yeah. Well, one of the part of the magic of that was um, and I've always David Leonard is the first uh, producer director that I've worked with that has been with that has has recognized the gold mine that is outtakes mm-hmm. and a lot of those shoots, they were so uh, dependent on getting the multi, like sort of the multi-focus point shot of the product. Yeah. That um, I I would just I just kept talking until they cut the camera, <laughs> and then they'd get into post and they'd have all this footage. Um, and then we just start we just kind of started doing it on purpose. We would do the spot as written. And then they would just sort of roll, uh, and it just it just got to be really fun. But it it, uh, it came out almost as like improv theater for a drug commercial is what it what it kind of came out as. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was. I miss it. That's they they've since they've since moved in another direction. Um, um, I, I haven't lived in Seattle but, a long time, so I didn't know if they were still doing the Bartel spots or not because they were great. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they are either, but you know, the internet is forever. So that's true. They that's do true. live on on YouTube. And, so uh, I I wanted to change gears just a little bit. Um, okay. So so you're you're doing as as you say you're doing corporate work, you're doing commercials, you're doing all this to kind of pay the bills. But but lately, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your focus, okay. your, your internet focus in any way, uh, your branding seems to be less about the acting and more about the comedy. And yes, I want to I want to know about how you made that switch in your head and why and, and specifically for the people who are listening to this, who are interested in building their own careers. How those those are my questions. Well, the thing that really was kind of a shift in consciousness for me is right uh, when I got back from L.A., um, a friend of mine contacted me to be more specific, the daughter of a guy named John Ellis, who I've been doing improv with for almost 20 years, went away to college and she wrote a web series and she contacted me and uh, said, hey, I'm just I just want to see if maybe you'd be interested in being in this web series um, I, I have all these episodes and it's, it's, it's loosely based on me, but I kind of wrote it so that it could be played by you. And I was wondering if you would consider doing it. And I, my first thought was, oh, how cute <laughs> little Liz Ellis went to college and she wrote a web show. And then I read it and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's really, really good. And I thought, this is better than anything I read, you know, during the last pilot season I was in L.A. So I was like, yes, absolutely. You are uh, going to be famous. And I would like to ride your coattails, please. So wait, which web series was this? This was Wrecked. OK, cool. All right. All right. Yeah. So the web series was called Wrecked. And uh, I played the lead in it and we did um, we did two seasons and, you know, I just sort of followed the wave of her, of this young artist um, writing and producing her own web show. And she entered it in a bunch of festivals and we the first uh, year that it was online um she got nominated for uh, several indie series awards and we ended up going to New York and she won an award. She won the best director in a comedy award, I believe for that, her very first ever project. But she also, she went to Hampshire college and she majored in web television. So she actually has a degree in that. Cause I guess Hampshire is a thing where you can sort of create your own major. 
I, I wouldn't know, but, but I, I anyway. would assume so if you put together a, a major in web television. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they don't have a lot of those. Unless yeah, there's probably yourself. not a lot of those, but it was just it was so interesting because um, it was r- super interesting to work with somebody who I've known since she was 10. And now I'm working with her. She's an adult and she's a completely different generation from me, but we're sort of combining you know we're kind of combining our talents and anyway uh so we did two seasons of that and and um just sort of uh, going to the festivals and um i just sort of this whole world of new media and independent television opened up to me and i i just found it really exciting um there were a couple of uh, she she also founded the Seattle Web Festival, too. So she's she is kind of a pioneer of of new media in Seattle. Um, but going going to the festivals was really great because we you know, you sort of I met a lot of other people who are producing their own media and. You know, like people who live in Portland, Maine, making their own shows. And um, there's there's uh, a ton of creativity and uh, um, originality and innovation happening artistically with this new media. And it's just not quite common knowledge how to make money with it yet. But even in the last few years, you know, just with like, for example, um, you know, like Netflix producing shows themselves now and Amazon producing shows and uh, there's and CISO TV, which is the new streaming comedy channel that just has tons and tons and tons of content. It's kind of um, it's kind of the golden age of content right now. So uh, long story short, if it's not too late for that. Yeah, way, I, way late for that, but it's cool. Sorry. Feel free to just just. <laughs> no, no, it's all interesting stuff. So I, I'm letting you Feel go because this is all. Nip, no, this is all this is all good content. Yeah. So um, so I had I did in 2013. I wrote my first one woman show and. um and so I and I had all of these video, these short video ideas that I wanted to put in my one woman show. And so uh, I and this, this, up, is, this is the Bama show, right? This is the Bama show. OK, well, so if, you, if you wanted to go find that on the Internet, that would be the Bama show. And they no, find hang it. on. That well, is, well that, that, I've, that, I've jumped ahead. The original incarnation of it was called Hippiecrit. I want to change the world. I just don't feel like it. All right. Yes, I've seen this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was a live, that was a live performance. I did it in a theater at the Solo Performance Festival. And, uh, Liz and her production company, which is called Honey Toad Studios, filmed all of my, my video content. So I had all of these short videos, um, some of which are online now, some of which I'm still sitting on, but I had all these short videos that were in the show that, uh, um, were, I had so much more fun filming those videos than I did sort of writing and performing the solo stuff. And after the show was done, I was like, wow, that was a tremendous amount of work. And it cost me around $8,000 to produce. And um, I really could just film it all and put it on the Internet and that I wouldn't have to come here every night. <laughs> I would just be at home mainly and people could watch my stuff. Um, but I just, I sort of fell in love with the short format video content. And so cut to, you know, a year ago, I had all this video content that I was sort of sitting on and I, I wanted to put it online, but I didn't want to just sort of, you know, just sort of throw it up on Facebook. So, uh, I got together with Liz again and we came up with an idea for a web, sh- for me to sort of design my own sketch comedy web show with all of this content. So that's where the Bama show came from. All I, right. All right. I jumped yeah. ahead too quick. That's okay. That's okay. 
Um, but it, yeah, it came out of that, of basically of just me having all this content and, and wanting to have kind of a better delivery system for it than just throwing up the videos. I wanted to sort of make it a whole brand and make it something that I could continue doing and make it something that would support my comedy career that I hadn't really developed yet. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's how that started. You know, there was a, there was a quote and I don't know if it's your quote or a quote that you took from somebody else, but it was on one of your varieties of social media when I was, when I was looking through it the other day. And, and you uh -huh. said, uh, uh, somebody asked you uh, what was an important lesson, and you said, when you don't have work, make work for yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought I, I would love for you to tell me more about this, because I, this this is a this is a recurring theme that I'm seeing when I'm talking to creative individuals. And I think it's I think it's wonderful stuff for people who are trying to kind of sort out their own creative life. How have you how have you done that? I mean, I think we've heard a lot of it already, but. Well, um, let's see. I just, I think that it's really, uh, it's really important to like what you're doing. And I feel like you, you have to, I feel like you, when you're an artist, you, there's a certain spiritual practice about it in that, um, I mean, it, it sort of comes down to that quote. It's a famous quote and I don't remember who said it, but that you have as an artist, you have an obligation to, uh, put whatever, whatever it is you have to give the world out into the world. And if you don't, it, it goes away. It dies forever. <laughs> it's not, that's not what it says. It's not that depressing. That, you know that is a harsh about? quote. I don't know. That was, was it Nietzsche? Well, that? no, it's that's not brutal. Nietzsche. I Nietzscheized it a little bit. <laughs> that was, no, was harsh. It's like, it's, it's like you, you I, I think it's actually um, the modern dance woman that said it. Oh, this is so embarrassing. The, the modern uh, dance woman. That's your your real the modern just, dance woman. Keep don't, this this hole gets deeper by the minute. I, I should just I, let you hang in this for a while. What I might I might be a little dehydrated right now. <laughs> a little dehydrated. But but, anyway, but point taken, right? If if you got some stuff that you need to do and you don't do it, it goes away, right? Yeah, you have to go. You have to just go into that quiet place and have that little conversation with yourself and go, okay, what do I want to do in life? Like, I'm, I, I'm going to die. That is, a, that is a fact. I'm going to die eventually. What do I want to have done before I go? I didn't and, think you could make this darker, but you just did. Well, well done. Not, this is not this to is... me. It, well, <laughs> it's just what, what do I have to offer the world? What do I have to offer the world and how can I, how can I materialize that? So if you, if somebody's not, you can't sit and wait for people to offer you work is basically what I'm saying. You have to go, what do I want to do? How can I do it? Where is there a need for what I do? And where are there other people who would either want to help me make that thing happen or who want to do that thing also that I could join forces with and try to make something happen. Yeah. I meet a lot of people in, in all varieties of creative life. Obviously I meet mostly people who are interested in games and they talk about, you know, I really want to be a game developer someday. And I'm always like, well then do it. Like what, yeah. why, are you, why are you fucking talking about this? You know? And, right. and just like you're saying, everything in the world has changed, you know, for you, the change has been now there's this incredible sort of web media thing where you you can have people in in Portland, Maine actually making movies. You used to not be able to do that, right? Yeah. But but now you can. And it's the same in, in games. It's the same in music. You know, there's there's so many ways for you to get your stuff distributed. There's so many ways for you to, you know, I'm, you know, we're doing this podcast. I'm sitting in Yokohama. You're sitting in Seattle. I got a hundred dollar yeah. microphone. You know, when, when I said yeah. I wanted to, to start a podcast, I just, you know, went to the web and, and searched 
how to make podcast and yeah like 48 hours after that i had a fucking podcast right and that's you know when people tell me they want to do some creative shit i always say well well then fucking do it right you know yeah yeah and I mean, really, you know, like if you and a, and a bunch of from a theater perspective, if you and a bunch of friends want to produce a show and there's not a theater that will, um, you know, produce you, then it is possible to find your own venue and rent it and sell tickets on Facebook. Like that's something you can do now. Well, I mean, you don't even have to go that far. I was watching one of your videos and I, I can't remember which one it was, but uh uh, you you guys were like it was the one where you're holding the champagne and you're pretending to be some at some fancy club. Oh, and then, and, yeah. and, the, and the the camera turns and you're you're literally in your garage. And, <laughs> and I was like, look at this, you can fucking shoot your own web series out in the garage now. That's apparently an option. Yeah, and, totally. And when we and were I, growing up back in Garland, that was something that like kids did and you put it on some VHS and you showed it to your mom. But you can now do that and like build a career off of it. <laughs> Yeah, you can. You can. And I have to mention that my friend Nathan Whitehouse actually wrote that video. It was a little guest writer spot. All right. Uh, well, I had to give it, I just had to give him a prop. No, it was uh, it was totally hilarious, but the thing that yeah. struck me was was the, you know, the camera turn and there you are in the garage and I just think to myself, yeah, you can do that now. That's a, that's an that's an option, you know. You can. And it's and it's it's also sort of opened up this whole new concept of of the proof really being in the pudding it's like if if it's funny it's funny and sometimes i I feel like especially with web stuff like some of the stuff that we were shooting i was like hey you guys i kind of i want this to look kind of shitty because i think it's going to be funnier if the production quality is a little bit shitty Mm -hmm. but real with really good sound you know yeah there, yeah, there, there's there's a thing, you know, we I was talking in another podcast. I, I don't know if you know the, the world of PewDiePie, um, but obviously no. one of, oh, see, this uh, is writing that down. Uh, all right. So PewDiePie? see, that's that's the thing. So PewDiePie is the, the biggest <laughs> celebrity on YouTube. Right. And we're talking okay. every, t- every time this guy drops a video. It's it's something like three to five million people are watching it, right? This <laughs> this this guy gets more views than any late night talk show host. I went and looked it up. Wow. Yeah, he actually gets on on every time he puts out one of his shitty little fifteen minute videos, he's getting something like three times the viewership that Jimmy Fallon gets, right? Yeah. This, this is where you can go with it, and and what 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 what's amazing when you look at the videos is just like you say, they're a little bit shitty. Like, yeah, if if they were too polished, the millennials and the people who grew up with this kind of content would say, yeah, that dude sold out. Right. This, this is maybe. Yeah, this is this is some Netflix produced bullshit. This isn't real. And there's this this need for 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 reality that people but that people are right. turning to podcasts. They're they're turning to live streaming. I mean, one of the biggest things in the world right now is this this live streaming. And it's literally people turning on the camera on their computer and you can watch them play video games and eat noodles and talk to them while they do that that's wow. a thing that that's that, a that's a that's a thing and it's not like a little thing to me wow that's it's, that's it's a, like yeah that that thing that twitch thing sold to amazon for multiple hundreds of millions of dollars wow and, and the heart of that thing is teenagers turning on their web camera and playing need for speed and you can chat with him while he does that, and and that's that's like a whole thing now. It's uh, oh man, the world has changed. <laughs> the world has changed. Yes, it has. So I want to I want yes, to totally has. shift gears a little bit. Um, okay. The world has changed, and it, and it's oh. specifically changed in November. Um, we yeah. we're living in this this. When I don't want to get. That I don't want to happened. I don't want to <laughs> yes. get super political, but I do want to no, ask I a know. question. How the hell do you make comedy in this world? Like, I wake up every morning and CNN looks like some kind of fucked up John Grisham novel, and I'm just like, I know. How do you, how do you make humor in this world? How do you even respond to that as an entertainer? Because you've got to if you're doing stand-up comedy, right? You've got to, and and for me, um, the the whole 
stand-up comedy, just as in me going out to comedy clubs and performing stuff that I wrote, is 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 fairly new in its infancy, as far as my career span goes. But uh, and largely because of just fear and apprehension of of being that vulnerable and of of standing up in front of a bunch of people and saying what I think about stuff. But there was something that happened in November where I was just like, fuck it. You know what? Nothing is more ludicrous um, than than uh, what just happened. And I, I really felt like uh, I felt like and, and comedy has sort of been certainly getting me through it. I mean, Patton Oswald's Twitter feed kind of. <laughs> Uh, I swear to God, kind of kept me alive for the <laughs> for the first month, um, and and just the way comedians were responding to the events and to the climate, and I I sort of started going back and watching old George Carlin um, videos where he would just rage against the machine and I was I was just like yes it just we need this we need this and I also um actually a friend of uh, my friend Ian Shulka and I uh just sort of we got together and we were like we have to we have to do a comedy sketch we have to do a sketch comedy Christmas show that's all occult themed where we play black metal and shit on Trump. That's like the only <laughs> way to sort of exercise everybody's fear. And that does sound cathartic. I have to it say it really was, it was called Ian and Obama's black Christmas. And it, it was, uh, it was, it was quite cathartic. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, there, it just, I feel mo, uh, I almost use the word motivated, which is just not something that happens. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but it's it's really difficult for me because I feel like you could just you could just play press briefings and be like, yeah, let's all this is this is comedy. Like it's it's so. Oh, it's gotten, it is. It is. And it I, is. It's it's almost like when it's that easy to make fun of something, it's not funny anymore. Like it's it I you know it's I used to be a I used to love John Stewart and I used to love what Samantha B and all that I used to watch them and I I I can't watch them anymore yeah. because I'm 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 almost watching them and I'm thinking like why are you laughing at this this shit's not funny anymore like like there's there's part of me that that can't even I you know I, what's his name John Oliver you know, everybody loves John Oliver and I turn on yeah. John Oliver and I and I think is it is it is it time for us to stop laughing about this yet? Is it time for us to maybe be like, yeah, this is no longer, we can't do a funny thing about this now. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's hard for me. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. Uh, and I definitely, I've had to really limit my consumption of, of, um, like, I don't, we don't have a TV in my house. I don't, I don't watch TV shows. I, I get it. I sort of have, uh, an app on my phone that gives me relevant happenings of the day. But, uh, you know, you kind of have to go on a news diet a little bit and just have a buddy <laughs> online and just be like, okay, I'm going to take it. I'm going to be in the dark today. And you just warn me if I need to find a bunker. <laughs> That's actually probably the best way of surviving all this. Yeah, I'm going to be in the mountains. But no, there there are definitely days where it's not funny anymore. But um, a, fr a friend of mine named Matt Smith, who uh, is an improviser here in town and um, kind of one of my mentors, he, he we were talking one day about having, having a really dark sense of humor. And he said... <clears throat> Is the interest the interesting thing about dark comedy is you pick something uncomfortable and you scratch the surface and it's funny and then you dig a little deeper than that and it becomes not funny but yeah. then you dig a little deeper than that and it becomes funny again and that's that's kind, for me that's kind of where I live like I I you know 
it doesn't necessarily to laugh at it doesn't necessarily always makes me make me feel better but it may at least it i feel like i got it out of my body you know what i mean yeah i mean it's it's almost like a survival mechanism and in a way i'm almost like maybe we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't be surviving this maybe we shouldn't be figuring out a way to make this all okay you know like you know there was a i was i was I don't remember who I was watching, but I was watching some comedian, and he, he was – I didn't like him. And, and he was being uh-huh. quite pompous about the, the role of comedy. And he said, you know, we can only fight this with comedy. And I'm like, John Stewart's been on the TV for, like, decades, and we ain't achieved shit. Like, like it, it felt like, you know, that comedy yeah. didn't do – if if comedy fixed something, how did – how did we get here? Like, it, you know, we, we've got some of the best comics in the world doing some of the best material anyone's ever seen on a nightly basis, and we still got here. And I'm not just talking about Trump. We, we, we got to all three houses of the government controlled by people that want to do terrible things. And, and you know, yeah. we, we, we reelected people that, that have like a 13% approval rating, and yet they're still there. And I'm like... If comedy can't convince us to show up and vote against somebody who only 13% of the people who know about them agree with them, like, how do you, maybe, maybe this comedy tool that we're using to fight this war isn't really the, the best tool in the box. You know, I, I, I really have wondered this recently. Well, I, for, for, for me, the, the things that have been, the most life affirming are, um, you know, you and I are, are still of a generation where we didn't grow up with technology and I, I, I'm, I'm really worried that people that, that the, the part of life where people gather together and have a common experience is going to go away because everybody's at home on a device. And so I feel like, you know, to go to a comedy show where people are talking about their panic attacks or ah, Gollum's got the ring or what, just to even just to say it out loud and to be together and to be connected to other people and, and share your feelings. To me, that is empowering in the same way that, you know, you, you go to the immigrant rally, you go to the, you know, the event that's happening in your town, the women's March, you know, um, just, the the and that's something that is is kind of is has I've certainly never been to a protest in my life before now um been to any sort of march or um you know rally or like a, a you know a, a vigil at a mosque because somebody defaced it or it's it's super interesting how we're really being called upon now to get to get out of the house and to gather and to connect with each other. And I I don't really, I'm not even really that well-versed in politics, um, which is embarrassing, but I feel like now, I feel like now I have to be, and there, you know, I, I don't, I just, I still feel helpless, you know? I I don't Um, think you're alone. I think there's a lot of people in the last few months that suddenly were like, Wow, maybe I should read a book or something. I I didn't know that the yeah. world was allowed to do this. Maybe I should be paying more attention. I think a lot of people in the last few months did wake up and be like, I, maybe I should have voted. Maybe I should. Yeah, primary I hope elections so. are a thing. Maybe I should get involved in those. Like I think that that thing happened. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. So the the only thing. I can think of to do is to just, um, uh, you know, tell the truth and, and try to, you know, create events where people gather and, and make people laugh, you know, (laughs) that's, that's the only, that's what I have to offer the world, I think. You know, one but, of the things that I, I think we, we need and, and where 
where comedians and 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 and, and real live things like gatherings and 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 protests and what 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 we need yeah. is is we need to pull people out of their communities and 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 yeah. the thing is the communities that they've created are these online communities where they've they've hyper selected a group of people that think exactly what they think and say yeah. exactly what they say mm -hmm. and they're not you know our generation we're a lot more used to, to 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 you know if you grew up in Garland Texas and and you were of a liberal bent you, you had to like defend that shit at school I can remember. Oh, I can yeah. remember, you know, I, 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 there was a, I can't remember her name. There was a cheerleader I wanted to date so bad <laughs> when I was in high school. And I can remember her just telling me like, well, if you don't have the Lord Jesus, I can't even consider that. And I remember thinking oh, like, man, you know, and I, I can remember I, I used to give her back rubs because that, that's what you did. You give back oh. rubs, you know, you get the, the, I sat behind her in English class back rubs. And I she remember would, those. I mean, I'm she, not from getting one, but. Well, I I gave a couple, and and I tell you, sometimes they worked, and and I, I was trying so hard on this girl, and I can remember her. I'm praying so hard for you, Chris. Jesus is gonna find you, and you had to have that conversation. You couldn't, I couldn't just fucking unfriend her and be like, I don't, okay, I don't want to hear about Jesus. She sat right in front of me. I had to deal with her shit, you know. Yeah. And, well, that's why that's why I didn't want to be Bama when I was little, because people called us hip, dirty hippies. Well, you guys kind of were dirty hippies. Well, <laughs> were. That's true. That's irrelevant. For for the record, so were we. We were dirty hippies together there in, in Garland. But uh oh, but I'm but you had, dirty hippie. You you had to defend it, right? You couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't. You know, I I I walked around with my flock of seagulls haircut, my big paisley shirt, and and my I used to tuck my jeans into my boots, you know, and I had yeah. to, I had <sighs> to defend that shit. I looked. I mean, the the be. Frank, yeah. I looked gay as fuck, and I had I got shit for it. I had people, hey, gay boy, what you dressing like that for? And yeah. you, and and we don't get that anymore. Now we get we get triggered, and we we don't want to talk about it. And 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 yeah, I I think I think the the it made me stronger. Like growing up in Garland and having people not agree with me and have to defend myself in public, that was a thing. And yeah. I worry that we've lost that skill in our curated society. Yeah. Yeah. And also for me, like one of the things that that triggers me that I that I feel like is happening in the world now is a, a, a sort of a just a rabid anti intellectualism oh, that yeah. I remember from school. I remember yep. Being in, I think it was a geography class. And do you remember when they were short on teachers, they would have like the football coach teach something? Well, that, 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 that wasn't short on teachers. That's a rule in That's Texas. Just... You're you're not allowed to be a coach without teaching something. Because... <laughs> you're not allowed to be a geography teacher. It's crazy. <laughs> you have to be a coach unless you can play a sport. It's a yeah yeah I think you got it right there. I think that's the other way around. You want to teach geography in this school, you best know something about football, boy. Yeah. And I remember there was oh god, I don't remember the guy's name, but I just remember this the and this is just a micro example of the mentality, but I remember there was an Asian kid in the class who the teacher was talking about the earth being round and he said, well, it's not perfectly round. It's not perfectly round, he said. And the teacher just started being like, oh, the earth's not round. And just sort of berating this guy and humiliating him. And he said he was saying, no, it's kind it's kind of egg shaped. Which is true. This is, Which is, is a fact. true. And I knew he was trying to explain that it bulges at the equator. Yeah. But this guy was the the teacher was just oh you're telling me the earth's not round and he just humiliated this kid and I remember being like I am gonna get an encyclopedia and find the sentence where it said the earth is not perfectly round it bulges at the equator brought it back to school the next day showed it to the teacher have never seen a man's face turn red in the way that but just just the the it wasn't just that. It was like it was like a fear and and a hatred for 
this kid being smart is what it felt like. I mean, that's no, what and, I remember and, in my ninth and, grade. And the thing is, your your experience is special because you actually got him to admit he was wrong. Now we live in a world where, where you know, on Facebook, you would go find the article which says, you know, the earth is actually not round. And he would come back with some other fucking article, you know, written by some guy who didn't know anything. and be like, no, no, no. You see, my facts are different. The facts that I work from say that the earth is actually round. And... And we should teach the debate. Like that's that's where we've gotten as a society. This this facts don't matter society. Yeah. I, I'll tell a story. I, I was I, I same school. Um, I don't know if it was the same teacher or not. It was Coach Carter. Uh, he was one of the football coaches. Okay. And I remember we were doing world geography with Coach Carter, and, Co- and Coach Carter was actually a nice guy. He was a good football teacher, and he football teacher, good football coach, and and a nice guy. Shitty shitty history teacher. And he he was he was reading out of the book. He was he's like and and then they mined many resources in Africa like tin and rubber, and I just started laughing. And he was like <laughs> like what's so funny back there? And I was like a hard day in the rubber mines, coach. You know. <laughs> and 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 he was like, well, where do you think rubber comes from? You think it grows on trees? And I was like, I didn't know how to respond. I was like. Yes, coach. That grows on rubber trees. That's why they call them rubber trees. I am barring you from the press conference. But, you know, back then, you know, at least we could call stupid people out for stupid and say, you know, look, this this shit's wrong. And they have to admit that. But now you don't even have to admit you're wrong. You just. Well, I just I remember during that time be having, you know, not only being angry, but just and you probably know what I'm talking about. There's this fear where there's just like that mentality and you're like, they're in charge. Yes. They, they have the power. There's more of them than there are of us. I'm always going to have to struggle against this. You know what I mean? Like, just like that kind of before you got out of Garland and knew there was a whole, you know, knew that there was a Seattle where people would be like, you don't recycle, you know, like <laughs> where you would be just sort of where you would fit right in. But 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 no, it's I, I you know, I, a lot of people who left Garland have this similar feeling of like, I escaped Garland. I got out of that place. And yeah, I, I feel like. Like it's, it's followed us, you know, like it's like the, we left it there and we didn't fix it and it grew like a cancer and now yeah. it's going to, and now it's coming back and it wants revenge. You know, the, the, right. the high school coaches of the world have united and they've decided that they're going to build a wall to keep the Mexicans out. Like, exactly. I feel like that's what's happened at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay, this got, this got political. That's a, well, <laughs> you know. How do you not in this we day and age? I really allowed, don't know how you don't. We're allowed to have our feelings. Fair enough. <laughs> so, all right, I want to I want to ask a different question. Um, okay. So, so you started on the world of comedy. So, have you been yeah. like, you been invited to the comedian club yet? Is there like a handshake or something? That you, I mean, what what do you got? You got to do the elephant walk or something before they let you on Joe Rogan's podcast? Like, how does how does it work when you start being a comedian? Is there a club? Is there a how does that? I don't know. I mean. You know, it's it's kind of it does have the scene, I guess, does have a certain social element. I kind of I kind of put I, I sort of like got into it through the back door a little bit by having this web show. Yeah, Um, because I was not I was not known really in the scene here other than uh, other than from doing theater and improv. So what I did, but I had a tremendous amount of material. So I, what I did was I rented a venue um, on Bainbridge Island, which is sort of a community where I have a following because I've been doing improv there for almost 20 years mm-hmm. and, uh, and um, so, sold tickets to that show and, and filmed that show. And that's the standup that's in the Bama show. And, that's kind of, I think, the first, the local community. I, I've done a couple of open mics and I've done a couple of sort of theater variety shows, um, but I haven't, I haven't done a lot of stand up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then just recently, I through somebody I met on a on a film shoot, 
recommended me to a booker who booked me on a couple of shows in town, which I just did last week that were really fun. And um, so now I have like a handful of friends and, and then another friend that was at that show has a friend from LA that's coming into town and I'm going to do a guest spot on her. So I'm sort of just kind of starting, I think to catch on here. Um, How is it? I mean, what, what, what is the, I think, I've I've always thought it would be really fun to do comedy, but you know I've always thought it was fun to write a novel. I'm not going to do that either. Right. Um, so what's it actually? What's the experience actually like standing up and having the lights on you and just all right, be funny, woman, for like 15 minutes. Go. Like it's, how does that work? It's a lot of things. It's it's first of all, it's absolutely terrifying. Like I've done a lot of. Um, you know, of all of the improv I've done, I've never had stage fright like I get when I'm doing stand up. Uh, but it's what, what's the what's the difference? Well, the difference is, uh, you know, and probably when I get more experienced, I won't think about this so much. But it's it's get it's having the nerves sort of wash over you to the point where you blank and you can't. Because you're because improv, I mean, because stand up is is joke dependent. If you lose your place, you can't really just start making stuff up. I mean, you could, but because there's no scene, there's no story. You don't have anything yeah. to grab onto. You're alone. So uh, you just have to find your way back into whatever the arc of your act is. And I guess there's no one there to like feed you a line or, or give you a prompt or. or no, there's nothing. nobody. I mean, there's a certain amount you can, you know, you can kind of have a set list, but there's only so much you can go over and look at a piece of paper while you're doing stand up before people be like, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. So that, that, and then there's also, there are so many variables, like the sound in the room. Sometimes this, uh, like this, this uh, uh, one, one of the brewery shows that I did last weekend was sort of the 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 venue was sort of this giant barn type thing, and the so the sound got swallowed to where you couldn't really hear people laughing. So you think they're not laughing, and so you kind of start flop sweating, and you start uh... sort of cutting your material a little bit and then you get in a really intimate room where it's well lit and you can see everybody and there's a woman in the front row who's just loving everything you say you know it's just it's very much about this is the thing that's new to me that's that's i I haven't had to deal with in any other aspect of performing is the connection with the audience yeah, because there's, there's, you don't even pretend to have a fourth wall in comedy. No. You don't even. It's just, it's just. I'm staring right at you and telling you some jokes. Yeah, and you're also, you're also riding on their energy. Like, yeah, you're sort of feeling them out and seeing what they think is funny, and and um, but also you kind of have to let them in a little bit. Um, I, I haven't mastered that yet, but I, I hopefully it'll come. <laughs> I just so far it's just you know getting through all my material and. And, um, you know, man- it, it, managing to pull it off in a way that I'm happy with is kind of my. <laughs> I, I wonder if one of the hard parts is, you know, I, I'm a huge comedy fan. This is actually how I, I travel a lot. I do about 100,000 miles a year. And yeah. I listen to comedy on planes. That's how mm-hmm. I get through long plane trips. And I, I have all my favorite comedians, Pat Oswalt being one of them. Oh, um, it's absolutely hilarious. And. The thing is, you only ever hear a comedian do an album on a good show. And so you get this idea that all of these comedians get a laugh on every line and it's always good. They never, they never, there there was one, um, oh shit, I've just forgotten his name. There was one comedian that actually released an album of like his worst show and it was. uh, Oh man, that's brave. It was Sam Kinison. It was Sam Kinison. Oh wow. it was like a, it was a, it was one that just it absolutely failed, and it's like thirty minutes. You can find it online. It's like thirty, forty-five minutes of him just like bitching out the audience for being a bunch of ignorant assholes because he just got pissed off at them. Oh man! And and he he refuses to leave the stage because he's just so pissed off at them. Wow! And I I heard that, and I was like, but this is Sam Kinison. How, how does he flop? How yeah. Did, how, 
how do you not laugh at Sam Kinison? But even Sam Kinison had a had a shit night, you know. And and it, yeah, you know, yeah. It it made me feel better about myself, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a podcast out now where comedians are talking about their worst, their absolute I, worst. I, I'm going to go look that up. I, yeah. I, that that's my new and, and I'll tell you that's actually one of the things that got me started podcasting and I I know he's kind of a sexist piece of shit but I really like Joe Rogan I think he's funny as hell yeah um, I I started listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and he does long fucking podcasts he does like four does. hour podcasts mm-hmm. and I started listening to those while I was like designing levels and stuff and I was yeah. like man and 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 he's always got kind of weird people on the show and talking weird people and I thought damn I could I could and I think this is this is the heart of being an artist. Is yeah. You listen to somebody and you say, "I could do that." Right. I I, I, I that that seems like a thing I could do. And yeah. I and I I went and I I said, you know, I got I got people. I could I got interesting people to talk to. I could call totally. them on Skype. You know, that's yeah. a thing I could do. And so this is this is actually my sort of sad homage to joe rogan i guess is what i'm up to here uh maybe someday i'll uh, maybe someday i'll be rich and famous and i can get joe rogan on my show i could tell him that it'd be hilarious i bet but you could not gonna, not gonna happen in a million years that well, thing's not gonna happen but all right so i i want to know i have kind of a question i thought of when I was, I was putting some questions together for you okay what is the shittiest advice you've ever gotten about the entertainment industry what like what was what was just some advice that you got that at the time you thought oh that sounds right and then over time you're like well that was fucking stupid um i had somebody tell me that if your uh if your manager or agent is really aggressive uh that that's a good thing like th- that you know if they're really uh, kind of kind of a bulldog like even with you mm-hmm. that um like to the point where i i go to an audition and i have to call that person after the audition and tell them how i did and if i say that i didn't do well they make me go back in and ask if i can do it again kind of stuff like that and 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 had people you know sort of say oh no that's good you want that you want them to sort of harass people on your behalf <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if if there's necessarily advice that I've gone, oh, that sounds good, and then followed it and been like, that was terrible. But there's a lot of things that people have told me that I just refuse to believe. Um, And one of them is that uh, you have to be young to be interesting as Mm. a performer or as an artist. I just I I really that is one thing that I feel like until my dying breath, I will rail against that because that that's depressing to me um, to just sort of exclude uh, the stories and experiences of of people who have wisdom, you know, and interestingly, the people who will tell you that will also tell you that it's more so for women. You'll you'll hear that. You'll hear people say, like, you know, when you get a certain age as a woman, you're not interesting anymore. And I'm certainly before the Internet destroys me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying people say that. Right. Right. No. Uh, Or certainly. Yeah. Or that you become invisible, you know. Yeah. yeah. And probably because I feel like I'm just sort of hurtling towards that period of life. But also I um. I have always had a lot, a, a lot of like way older than me friends, and uh, I just, um, I, I love older people. I, I, I have friends in their eighties, and uh, you know, when I, when I just sort of look as an artist and as a consumer at what's on TV, um, I, I'm not, I'm not inter- I'm just like, I, I. I love that there's really young, thin people fucking each other a lot, but I just, I don't, (laughs) that, that's not the wisdom that's going to help me prepare for death that I need. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, I would rather see a show about like five grandmas or, you know, I, I just, 
I hope. So you're like a huge Golden Girls fan then, I'm I guess. Huge, I'm a huge Golden Girls fan. And I'm actually a huge fan of British television because they have not only normal looking women on their shows, but they have kind of oldish people having sexual relationships, which is kind of almost unheard of. On American television. Also kind of like my dad lives in Mexico now. And so I I visit him frequently. And I've just sort of noticed a, a difference in sort of the um, the reverence and and uh, the way they regard older people in that culture. And it's just become something about American culture that's really started to bother me. No, I agree. There's there's an almost worship of youth that happens in America, and certainly if you ever come out to Asia, the the you know if I'll tell you what, when I'm an old man, I will live in Japan because old men are fucking gods here. Oh God, like, really? Oh shit, you can get away with crap oh, in Japan dude. when you're old. Oh my God, you you and and <laughs> that the, sounds you know, and, amazing. The only thing, the only people in the world that have more power in Japan than old men is old women. Like oh, they there. It is it is the most amazing thing because women and let's be honest, women don't have the best role in Japan. They they end up being subservient and they end up getting a lot of sexism. They put up with a lot of bullshit until they become grandmothers. And then like the gloves come off and they're like, I've put up with this shit my whole fucking life and I'm not doing it anymore. And I've I've watched my own mother in law, who's one of the sweetest women I've ever met, I've watched her just like blossom into her I don't give a fuck, period. And it's it's been awesome. It's been oh, awesome man. to watch. So if you want to be an old See, woman and just get away with murder, this is your country right If there was a right TV here. show about that, how awesome would that? Just like older Japanese ladies get real. Well, how the awesome thing is, would that be? In, that, that's what's uh, – in Japanese TV, there – there, if, if you spoke Japanese, there, there's a whole like there, there's different characters in Japanese TV, and one of the set characters in Japanese TV is like the old Japanese lady who's way smarter than everyone else in the show. And there's always that period awesome. of the show where they're like, Grandma lays the shit down, right? And she's like, Well, right. actually, let me explain to you how all this shit works. And she always does it in this like you know kind of temperate, nice tone of voice, and everyone else sure. is like, "Whoa, I had no fucking idea." Like we just got the wisdom bomb. Right. And on. I'm always like, "Where the fuck is that character in America?" Yeah. You don't. You never see that character in American TV. Yeah. Maybe she's like some kindly old lady, and and she has like her one moment in like season four, and you know, and then you never see her again. But like this shit happens every episode in Japan. <laughs> awesome. Well, I. All right. I'm going to take a positive note and just and and tell myself that I kind of feel like middle-aged women are sort of killing it in comedy right now. Yes. So that's inspiring and um uh I I've, I've just been sort of drinking that in. Maria Bamford has a hilarious show on Netflix called Lady Dynamite. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, and then uh, like, you know, Jackie Cashian, Laurie Kilmartin, Leslie Jones, I think is kind of my age ish or older. And so these women are, are on the rise and they're old and they're older and they have, they just have, they've got content, baby. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what I think has changed is, uh, you know, uh, sexism takes a while to kind of get out of the system. You know, I mean, there's yeah. it, race, racism and sexism is shit you were taught from the time you're really little. And, you know, it's it's some of these some of these old racists and old sexists, they just got to die. Right. That's, there's no there's no other solution to it. They just got to yeah. get old and die. And we got to get that out of our, our sort of cultural system. Yeah. And as that has happened, women in entertainment have moved into positions of power where they can start saying, Hey, you know what? Actually, we can cast a woman in this role and she can be funny and that'll be cool because yeah. that that person hasn't been in the management chain to to allow those decisions to be made. And I, I think yeah. that's really you're seeing, you know, for me, what's really exciting is not so much the women performers. That's exciting. But what's exciting yeah. for me is to see women producers. Yeah. And and, and see, you know, uh, oh, I, I feel like an asshole now for not remembering her name. The, uh, the woman from 30 Rock and Saturday Night Live. And Tina Fey. She, Tina Fey. I'm blanking on Tina Fey's name. Like, what's amazing to me about Tina Fey is not that she's an incredibly talented and funny woman, but that she's turned that into 
actually producing and doing all kinds of amazing stuff with other talented and funny women and yeah. creating this this place for them to do that thing. Yeah. That she that really I think has. is really changing stuff. That's sort of something I'm noticing too with especially women that sort of have their own shows. Yeah. Like they're sort of like, "Oh, and then all and then the four friends are sort of you know, women that I've kind of never seen before that are awesome that I'm now going to Google." So I and I and I wonder like is is part of it this thing that we were talking about earlier where anyone with a microphone, anyone with a camera, there used to be that step in the process where a group of, you know, old cigar chomping men would be like, yeah, 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 the people aren't into that. We're not going to green light that. But now you can just be like, all right, these four women decided to do a show and they did it in their garage and they put it on YouTube and nobody got to tell them no. And if it's funny, it's funny. If it's not funny, it's not funny. It, it sinks or it swims. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's what's happening. That's what people are doing. Um, there's just sort of this big gap between doing it and 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 having somebody pay you to do it. <laughs> yeah, With we got to we got to sort in right now. Yeah, we got to sort that part of the puzzle out. Yeah. So speaking speaking of that, as the best lead in I could possibly get, the last question I've got for you, it's time to pimp your shit. Pimp so my this shit. Is, Pimp your shit. So this is where you get to hit us with uh, someone listen to this. They're like, holy shit, that bomba chick is cool. I want to know more. I want to see more. Where do they go? What do they do? And I'll, by the way, all of this will be written in the, the little you know description of the podcast so they can click on links and stuff. But but hit us with where can we go? What can we do? What? How do I get to know more about Bama? Okay. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at The Bama Show. Um, also on Instagram at the Bama Show, and then I have my own YouTube channel, uh, the Bama Show. And all right. Also, well, that's easy yeah. to remember. Yeah, and it's all that's all. Uh, all of my videos are on YouTube. Um, I I try to keep uh, active on my Twitter feed. Uh, I do have a show coming up in March in Seattle. I have a guest spot. It's not official yet though, so I can't announce it. But I will. I will when the time comes. All right, cool. And on that note, I think we're done for this. This has been a, a, a longer interview than I expected it to be, but holy shit, it was all really great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. This has been totally awesome. Oh, my God, thank you. That was really fun. And feel free to cut anything that sounds stupid. In fact, I'm not going to cut that. I'm going to I'm going to leave this You're bit right here where it. <laughs> this this bit here where you told me I can cut stuff. I'm going to leave this bit in just to let people know how legit we're like we're street oh, here. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're just flowing. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're old school. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm going to cut it here. This is where I'll cut it right after this moment here. That's the show for today. I hope you were into it because we're going to be doing more shows like this. I actually really enjoyed talking to somebody who wasn't just all about games. And I want to bring more people on from sort of different parts of the entertainment world. So hopefully you're into that. I'd like to know if you are into it. Come to the Discord and let me know. If you're not into it, come to the Discord and let me know. Whatever you want to talk about, we're there. We're happy to chat about things and we can improve this podcast. This is a thing that we can all do together. So that's all we've got. Hope to see you on the next show.